The past two weeks have seen some of the biggest hacks on an entire nation and on a foreign intelligence agency. In Bulgaria, about 5 million people had their data stolen from the National Revenue Agency. Not long before that, a contractor with the Russian intelligence agency FSB fell victim to a group of hackers that stole and released documents about various surveillance projects, including one project to scrape social media accounts like Facebook and LinkedIn. And Kazakhstan claims to be increasing their nation's security by monitoring web traffic within its borders. You'd think that intelligence agencies would have the highest cybersecurity more than any other group, but on July 13th, a group of hackers known as Zero Virus attacked SciTech, a contractor for Russia's FSB. The group got away with 7.5 terabytes of data about various FSB projects from the SciTech network, including information about a project that scrapes social media accounts for information and another that de-anonymizes traffic from the secure web browser Tor. The hackers also left an emoji popular with Russian trolls called Yobaface on the website's landing page. SciTech has taken down its website since then. ZeroVirus tweeted screenshots of SciTech servers and shared the information with another group called Digital Revolution that hacked another FSB contractor called Quantum last year. Unfortunately, as I was screenshotting the tweets for this story, the page was taken down. The files released show that since 2009, SciTech has worked on a range of projects for FSB and Quantum. According to ZDNet, some of these projects include Nautilus, a project for collecting data about social media users such as Facebook, MySpace, and LinkedIn. Nautilus S, a project for de-anonymizing Tor traffic with the help of rogue Tor servers. Reward, a project to covertly penetrate peer-to-peer -peer networks like those used for torrents. Mentor, a project to monitor and search email communications on the servers of Russian companies. Hope, a project to investigate the topology of Russian internet and how it connects to other countries' networks. Tax3, a project for the creation of a closed intranet to store the information of highly sensitive state figures, judges, and local administration officials separate from the rest of the state's IT networks. Most of these projects appear to still be in the research phase, but two are likely to have already been tested, Nautilus S and Hope. Digital Revolution tweeted out some of the information at the end of last week, including claims that the documents showed journalists, students, and pensioners are under surveillance by the FSB. Among the tweets were documents about Nautilus S, the project to de-anonymize Tor browser users. Tor connects a user to various servers across several countries to hide data and bypass censorship. In 2014, attempts to hack Tor users were revealed by researchers at Sweden's Karlstad University. They found 25 malicious exit relays, 19 of which the researchers believe were interconnected, and 18 of those were linked to Russia. Digital Revolution told BBC Russia, We think that the Kremlin is trying to de-anonymize Tor for their own selfish reasons. Under various pretenses, the authorities are trying to limit us in the ability to freely express our opinions. The other project, Hope, analyzed the structure of the Russian segment of the internet, which is likely connected with the unpopular Russian Runet law, signed earlier this year, that would allow Russia to disconnect from the rest of the world's internet. The law requires Russian internet service providers to ensure the independence of Russia's internet, or Runet, in case of a foreign act to disconnect the country. Russian ISPs also have to be able to reroute Russia's internet traffic to exchange points managed by the nation's telecom watchdog, Ruskomnazor. Our next story jumps over to Bulgaria, where last weekend an expansive database filled with personal data was leaked on the internet from Bulgaria's National Revenue Agency, or NRA. The 10.7 gigabyte database of 57 folders was distributed to local reporters and is being rapidly disseminated across hacker forums. 
The hacker who stole the information bragged about actually stealing 110 databases at nearly 21 gigabytes, but only shared the 57 folders with a promise to release the rest soon after. The files contained the personal information of close to 5 million of Bulgaria's citizens, which is approximately 70% of the entire country's population, although the data also contains information on foreigners and deceased individuals. The numbers were then decreased when the National Revenue Agency put out a statement claiming that the hackers were only able to gain access to 3% of their systems. The type of information released includes tax information, personal identification numbers, home addresses, financial earnings, as well as identifiable information of the citizens involved coming from both the National Revenue Agency as well as other governmental agencies that exchange data with the NRA. The hacker who claims to be behind the release of the information, Instakilla, reached out to ZDNet. ZDNet asked him how he got the data. One of our media outlets covered the topic early on, and in the video from what I believe, they showed the link to the file. The file itself was password protected, and they didn't believe any harm would come from showing the link. Neither they nor anyone had the password. A friend of mine saw this video and decided to hit me up with the link from the video asking if I could crack it. So I took the file on, redacted, so someone would crack it for me, telling them that there was valuable information inside, which there is, because that's how the game works. On July 17th, Bulgarian authorities arrested a 20-year-old suspect who was released the next day. According to Bulgarian media sources, the suspect is a computer expert from Plovdiv and had made illegal copies of the NRA's servers. The data, however, was found not to be the same data involved in the extensive hack, but the suspect still faces fines, as well as between five and eight years worth of prison time. The Bulgarian Democratic Opposition parties have called for the immediate resignation of Finance Minister Vladislav Goronov, releasing a statement saying, The job of the Finance Minister is not just to be an accountant of the state, but to prioritize sectors where there is an urgent need for important reform. Mr. Goronov not only does not do so, but it also actively blocks a number of such reforms, including government cybersecurity. And we believe that it is time for the finance minister Goronov to bear political responsibility and resign due to the risks of his subordinate structures that have left thousands of citizens and their businesses to be exposed. It is currently uncertain whether or not the hackers will release more data in the coming days. Some governments want to increase security for citizens by monitoring web traffic within its borders. On July 17th, the government of Kazakhstan began intercepting HTTPS traffic domestically in an attempt to thwart security threats from within. The Kazakh government instructed local internet service providers to force their customers to install a government-developed certificate on their personal devices in every browser. Once the certificate is installed, it will allow for the government authorities and agencies to decrypt HTTPS traffic, allowing them to scour the content before encrypting it again and sending it out. Users who have not installed the government-issued certificate are being redirected to a web page that instructs the user on how to install the root certificate across a variety of devices. According to local media, some users received text messages on smartphones, instructing them on how to install the certificates. Government ministry officials feel that the measure is for the best, stating that it was aimed at enhancing the protection of citizens, government bodies, and private companies from hacker attacks, internet fraudsters, and other types of cyber threats. This is not the first time that Kazakhstan has attempted to force citizens into installing a root certificate. In December 2015, they failed to win over private interests and foreign governments when they were trying to do the same thing. The government faced lawsuits by several ISPs, banks, and foreign governments, who were concerned that the Kazakh government's move would weaken overall security and business from the country. Kazakhstan attempted to get internet browser Mozilla Firefox aboard with their plan by having the root certificate included in the browser by default, but it ultimately failed. 
Companies such as Mozilla, as well as Google and Microsoft, are currently coming up with a plan of action on how to handle sites that are re-encrypted by the Kazakh government's root certificate, citing some fears over how the data is handled once it's gone through the certificate. Yesterday on July 22nd, the Washington Post revealed that Huawei Technologies, which the U.S. blacklisted as a national security threat, secretly helped build and maintain North Korea's commercial wireless network with the North Korean government. Spreadsheets and other documents obtained by the Post through a former Huawei employee show that Huawei may have violated U.S. export controls to get equipment to North Korea who is under strict international sanctions for human rights abuses and its nuclear weapons program. The former Huawei employee was joined by others who felt that the information was in the public interest, and all of them spoke on the condition of anonymity, fearing potential retribution for their actions. Today, we're going into some of the details within these leaked documents and the security concerns the U.S. and other countries have raised over Huawei. We'll also get into the White House meeting with tech firms concerning the Huawei blacklisting and the fallout this sparked from China. You can find all of those links in the description along with our Teespring shop where you can get Subverse merchandise like t-shirts, mugs, hoodies, and stickers. But back to the news. The documents show excerpts of purchase orders and contracts from between 2008 and 2012, including terms and prices for Huawei to give equipment to Chinese state-owned Panda International Information Technology, which gave materials to the Korean Korea Link. The network itself was built through a joint venture of the state-owned Korea Post and Telecommunications Trade Corporation and an Egyptian firm called Oriscom. Huawei spokesperson Joe Kelly did not dispute the authenticity of the documents, but declined to verify them or answer detailed questions. In a statement to the Post, Huawei said it has no business presence in North Korea. Huawei is fully committed to comply with all applicable laws and regulations in the countries and regions where we operate, including all export control and sanction laws and regulations of the United Nations, the United States, and European Union, the statement says. Huawei does business in more than 170 countries, growing from a phone switchmaker into a Chinese technological icon and the largest telecom equipment manufacturer in the world. In 2006, North Korea established KoreaLink following the former DPRK dictator Kim Jong-il's visit to Huawei's headquarters in Shenzhen, China. Huawei has worked closely with Panda International, a branch of the Panda Group conglomerate. Internal documents showed that Panda provided North Korea with a range of equipment needed to launch KoreaLink. A person familiar with the dealings said that Huawei and Panda employees worked out of an inexpensive hotel in Pyongyang for years. The documents obtained by the Post also showed concerns of foreign spying on North Korean regime officials and family members using KoreaLink. Oriscom and Korea Post had Huawei develop encryption for the network. In internal documents and among employees, countries like North Korea, Iran, and Syria were referred to with code names. North Korea was given the code A9 in their project database. According to the Post, a semi-private online forum used by Huawei employees about how he helped launch KoreaLink in A9 during the summer of 2008 before rushing back to China to offer tech support for the Beijing Olympics. In parentheses, the man wrote Chaoqian, which means North Korea in Roman letters, an apparent effort to avoid mentioning the country by name using Chinese characters. The projects Huawei was involved in for KoreaLink were network integration, software services, managed service, network assurance services, and at least one expansion project. An encryption testbed was built in Shenzhen, and two people familiar with the system said that North Korea intercepted and monitored all calls. A senior State Department official who spoke anonymously with the Post gave insight into the administration's frustration, saying, All of this fits into a general concern we have about corporate responsibility and a company like Huawei that is not trustworthy because of its company culture and numerous incidents indicating a willingness to evade or outright violate laws. 
Working with regimes like North Korea, who deprive individuals on a regular basis of their basic human rights, raises concern. The Post believes the suspected link between Huawei and the Chinese government and now North Korea may deepen the suspicion among Western nations contemplating to ban the company from 5G networks. All of this also is unfolding during an increasingly tumultuous relationship between the U.S. and China. Aside from the issues of diplomacy and national security, the blacklisting of Huawei has evoked a response from tech companies inside the U.S. Yesterday, the White House said Trump and other administration's officials met with leaders of Google, Qualcomm, Cisco, Intel, Western Digital, and others to talk about the ban on Huawei and trade relations with China. These companies and semiconductor firms are pushing the Trump administration to ease restrictions on selling technology to Huawei. The ban prevented companies from doing business without a government waiver. Because of this, Google cut off Android hardware and software service support. The companies involved didn't say much about the meetings other than gratitude to have their concerns heard. According to the New York Times, one of the companies involved, Intel, put out a statement following the meeting in the White House saying, We regularly engage with the administration on issues important to Intel and our industry. We appreciate joining our peers attending today's White House economic meeting and sharing Intel's perspective on economic issues, including how the current trade situation with China impacts the critical U.S. semiconductor industry. According to the Wall Street Journal, the White House said, the CEOs expressed strong support of the president's policies, including national security restrictions on United States telecom equipment purchases and sales to Huawei. They requested timely licensing decisions from the Department of Commerce, and the president agreed. Following the G20 summit, Trump said he would allow some sales to Huawei, a significant step since deeming the company a national security risk and convincing some allied nations not to use the company's equipment for 5G networks. After a meeting with Chinese President Xi Jinping, Trump said the U.S. companies could sell equipment to Huawei because China would be making large imports of agricultural products from the U.S. But administration officials still say that no licenses will be granted for products that could endanger national security. Huawei makes network switches, gateways, routers, and bridges, which control where data is sent and how. Although Huawei points out there is no evidence of bad action on behalf of the company or China, Western security officials scrutinize China's foreign policy, economic warfare, espionage, and extrajudicial directions as potential threats. In January, the U.S. Department of Justice filed charges against Huawei for theft of trade secrets conspiracy, attempted theft of trade secrets, seven counts of wire fraud, and one count of obstruction of justice. The alleged efforts took place between 2012 and 2014 and were to steal trade secrets from T-Mobile and obstruct justice when T-Mobile threatened to sue the company. The Justice Department press release also said that Huawei was offering bonuses to employees who successfully stole confidential information from other companies. U.S. officials have accused Huawei of being funded by Chinese state security, and recently, the U.K.'s head of National Cybersecurity Center warned it can only provide limited assurance that all risks to U.K. national security from Huawei's involvement in the U.K.'s critical networks can be sufficiently mitigated long term. So far, three nations, including the U.S. and New Zealand, have fully prohibited Huawei equipment. Australia is the third, with the Minister for Communications and Minister for Home Affairs stating last year in a media release, the government considers that the involvement of vendors who are likely to be subject to extrajudicial directions from a foreign government that conflict with Australian law may risk failure by the carrier to adequately protect a 5G network from unauthorized access or interference. 
In response to the U.S. blacklisting Huawei, China's Ministry of Commerce came up with its own list of unreliable foreigners to safeguard national security, public interests, as well as rights and interests of Chinese enterprises. According to Xinhua News Agency, the list includes foreign enterprises, organizations, and individuals that do not comply with market rules, violate contracts, block or cut supplies to Chinese firms with non-commercial purposes, and seriously damage the legitimate rights and interests of Chinese enterprises. The list will include foreign people or organizations who take discriminatory measures against Chinese entities and cause damage to Chinese firms and industries or pose actual or potential threats to Chinese state security. Beyond this list from the Ministry of Commerce, Huawei's FutureWay started laying off U.S. workers yesterday, citing the U.S. government's actions curtailing business operations. The blacklisting of Huawei made it illegal for FutureWay to transfer sensitive technologies to its parent company. According to Reuters, an employee not affected by the layoff said work had come to a standstill since Huawei was blacklisted. On the 17th of May, Huawei asked everyone at FutureWay to upload everything to the Huawei cloud right before the ban took effect, that employee said. After that, basically FutureWay has stopped doing any work, almost stopped everything. FutureWay works with universities and researchers with $510 million worth of operating costs last year alone. The offices are located near Seattle, Chicago, Dallas, and in Silicon Valley, and they're reportedly cutting more than 600 jobs. Huawei employed about 1,500 people in the U.S., including 850 FutureWay employees, before the layoffs started. Their U.S. headcount had been declining since January when its deal to enter the smartphone market with other U.S. telecom giants collapsed due to government pressure. Thanks for listening. If you want to find more content, head over to subverse.minds.com to find articles, videos, and join our public newsroom where you can discuss topics and ideas as well as share articles. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Medium where we regularly post our content and receive feedback from our valued listeners like you. Our videos and articles can now be found in podcast form on Spotify, the Apple Store, Stitcher, and Anchor. If you'd like to support our work, you can donate to our PayPal, Patreon, or Subscribestar. You can also get Subverse gear at our Teespring shop. All the links are in the description. Stay tuned for more content every weekday, and we'll see you next time.